and welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rees, and on each episode, I investigate a different, weird, and wonderful subject. And on this episode, we are going to get truly diabolical and explore a unique account of the Lord of Hell himself visiting Earth and targeting a lonely Welsh church only to find himself in a fierce battle with the local exorcist. And the effects of that battle can still be felt today in the permanent scars left in the rolling Welsh landscape. And so, to begin at the beginning. And I mentioned this was a unique tale, and you will discover at the end what it is that makes this tale unique. But the idea of the devil visiting a church or a chapel, or a cathedral, or a graveyard, in and of itself, isn't unique. As regular listeners will know, it was quite a regular occurrence in Wales back in the day. Maybe it still is today. I don't know. I haven't done any recent surveys of devil sightings in churches. But you might be wondering, how exactly can you tell if the devil is visiting your church? Surely, surely the devil would turn up in disguise. Just like in the Elvis song, the devil would be in disguise. It wouldn't be the stereotypical devil just barging into your church with horns in his head, holding a big pitchfork and stinking of sulphur. So if the devil is in disguise, how can you differentiate him from the other parishioners? Well, folklore tells us that there is one definite telltale sign that allows you to spot the devil a mile off, no matter what disguise they're wearing. Even if they look like an angel and walk like an angel, this always works. And so, in the old superstitious times, we are told, which is a slightly vague way of dating this, but in the old superstitious times, centuries ago, if you were in church just minding your own business, well, you, you, you wouldn't be minding your own business. You'd be busy praying and singing and listening closely to the vicar and things. But if you were in church and you were concerned about the devil being amongst you, all you had to do to prove or disprove those suspicions was to keep a close eye on the doors. Keep a close eye on the doors because the north door of a church was called the devil's door, which in and of itself is a bit of a giveaway. But it was thought that as the priest entered the church through the south door, the evil spirit was obliged to make his exit through the north door, through the devil's door. So all you have to do is wait for the final hymn to reach its climax. And as everyone stands and makes their way out of the church, keep an eye on anyone heading towards that north door. Because that is almost certainly Old Nick himself, or one of his demons, or one of the evil spirits. Or maybe it's just somebody who got lost. So it's always best to check first before you go and rugby tackle them or something. Don't go accusing innocent people of being diabolical, even if they almost certainly are. But if they walk out the north door, that is a sign. And the north side of the church does generally have a connection with the darker side of life, shall we say. And it was also claimed that... In former times, again, a bit vague, but in former times, nobody was buried on the north side of the churchyard as it was known as 
The Domain of Demons. The Domain of Demons. And if you thought The Devil's Door was a bit of a giveaway, just imagine being buried in the domain of demons. That's just asking for trouble. Now, onto this tale in particular, and we are heading to the county of Caradigion, as it is today, or Duvid, as it was at the time of this tale. And it was back in about 1850, so at least we've got a date for something on this episode. This tale was recorded circa 1850, when it was written that in the churchyard of Llanarth, near Abba Iron, on the south side of the church, which, as everyone now knows, is the good side of the church, or if not necessarily good, a heck of a lot better sounding than the domain of demons. And on the south side of the church, there is an inscribed stone of the 12th century. Now, I should interrupt quickly at this point and just say that this stone does get mentioned a few times on this episode. And while you can choose to believe or not believe in all of the other weird and wonderful things I talk about, the devils and the demons and the evil spirits, this stone was or is very much real. However, I have not had a chance to visit yet and see it for myself, so I can't confirm or deny if it's still there. So if you do listen to this episode and think, do you know what? I'd love to jump in my car and pop down and visit this stone or or jump in a plane even. Most of my lovely listeners are overseas and aren't lucky enough to live in Wales. But if you are thinking of visiting, don't blame me if you can't find the stone. I mean, of course, you can still have a lovely ice cream and aberiron and all the rest of it, but the stone may or may not be there. But anyway, this 12th century stone was certainly there at the time of this tale. And it sounds quite distinctive, so it should be nice and easy to find, because it bears a cross covering the stone with four circular holes at the junction of the arms. So look for the stone with a big cross on it and four circular holes at the junction of the arms. And if you do find it, the inscription is on the lower limb of the cross. But as it is made of micaceous sandstone, which, I'll be honest, is a word I have never said aloud before, but I am assuming micaceous sandstone doesn't stand up to time too well. And as it is made of micaceous sandstone, part of it has been split off, or had been split off at the time, and as such, the inscription is much mutilated. So while this might be a stone with an inscription on it, the inscription itself is pretty much unreadable. Nobody knows what this inscription really says, which just adds an extra layer of mystery to a tale that is already mysterious enough as it is. Now, at the time of writing, so again, going back to the sort of mid-mid-1800s, there was, we are told, a superstition concerning this stone. It's a superstition that might still persist today, but certainly back then they believed, to quote, the current tradition of the place concerning it is that one stormy night, which is when all the best stories take place, one stormy night, some centuries ago, there was such a tremendous shindy going on up in the belfry of the church that put the whole village in commotion. 
So I'm assuming that as it was in the belfry, it was the bells, the big church bells that were causing this commotion, which in fairness would have been quite a commotion. There was a tremendous shindy going on in that belfry. And I think shindy might be the second word on this episode I've never pronounced aloud before today either. And if you aren't familiar with the word shindy, it means noise, a whole lot of noise. There was a whole lot of shindy going on, which almost sounds like another classic rock and roll song. But anyway, it was a dark gothic night. The bells were ringing out. Nobody could sleep. Nobody knew what was causing it. Everyone was mad. And as a result, it was conjectured that nobody but a certain ancient personage could be the cause of this, which is a very old school way of saying that they believed it was the devil, but without using the word devil. It was conjectured that nobody but a certain ancient personage could be the cause of this, and therefore they fetched up his reverence from the vicarage to go and request the intruder to be off, which again is a very polite way of saying that they wanted the vicar to go up there and kick some devilish backside. And I would imagine if this shindy was waking up the entire village, the vicar was probably awake anyway. And politely asking the intruder to be off is unlikely to work. This would require some of his exorcism powers. He'd have to roll up his sleeves and do this the hard way. But I'm getting ahead of myself slightly. But they turned to the vicar to save the day or save the night, as it were. And up went the vicar with bell, book and candle. And I've spoken about bell, book and candle before, so I won't dwell on it for too long here. But it's a form of excommunication that's also quite quite handy in situations like this where you need to get rid of the forces of evil and of course it's also a James Stewart film but up went the vicar and along the long winding narrow staircase he went up towards the belfry and sure enough right up aloft among the bells there was his majesty in person which again is a very old school way of saying the devil the devil And what you do find with a lot of these old folkloric accounts, the old folklore books, is that it's a bit like saying the Scottish play, instead of saying aloud the name of the Shakespearean work that brings bad luck to actors and and, and maybe other people as well, I don't know, maybe even Welsh journalists who record bizarre podcasts about the devil. So I won't risk it right now, just in case there's no point tempting fate. But back to the devil's name, and as a general rule, it was good practice to avoid spelling it out. In the examples I use on this episode, they either work around it by using words like his majesty there, which of course, you know, they mean the king, the king of hell. They're not talking about King King Charles or anything, say. But also by omitting letters. So you'll get D, long dash, L, and then a bit like a puzzle in a newspaper, you have to work out what could they mean. Could this word possibly be be damsel or, or dumbbell? Or maybe it's the devil. Even his name is in disguise. But whatever you want to call him, no sooner had the worthy priest begun the usual conjure it in nomine, etc. And I am so glad there is an etc. there because I didn't fancy trying to pronounce any more Latin words. But no sooner had the worthy priest began his Latin incantations than away went the enemy. The devil disappeared up 
the remaining part of the staircase up higher than even the belfry and into the tower, the absolute pinnacle of the church. But the man of God, who wasn't daunted, we are told, by this swift exit, he chased after him and pressed the intruder so briskly that the latter had nothing else to do than to leap over the battlements. So the devil, or the intruder as we are now calling him, he's not the majesty anymore, so the intruder is pressed to jump over the battlements. The devil could take no more. He leaped over the battlements to escape because he was being pressed by the vicar, although we aren't talking about a literal pressing. He wasn't pushing him over the edge. This was far more ethical. He drove him to it with his words, with the bell, book and candle, with all of that Latin. You don't use physical strength, you use Latin. Although saying that, talking about ethics, I don't know if there are any circumstances when the church would condone pushing anyone off a building, but maybe they would if it's the devil. That's, that's a theological conundrum for another day. But however he was pressed, over the battlements he went, and he came down plump among the gravestones below, and falling upon one in particular, made with his hands and knees, the four holes now visible on the stone in question. And this is why I was going on about that stone earlier that you may or may not find if you visit the churchyard. But if you were to find it, now you know. Now you can impress your friends if you don't go alone and point out why that cross on that grave has four holes in it. And if you look upwards from that spot, you can see where the devil fell from that belfry down, bang into the ground. All of which reminds me of a scene from the 1989 Batman film. Of all things, Tim Burton's 1989 Batman film. And there's a big spoiler coming up here if you haven't seen the film, although it's been out for decades now. So if you haven't seen it, I'm assuming you are never going to see it. But right at the end of the film, the Joker is also up on this huge gothic edifice. Messing around in the belfry even makes a joke about bats in the belfry. Batman, bats in the belfry, which frankly is about the standard of joke that you've come to expect on this podcast. But he's messing around in the belfry and he also goes over the edge and comes down splat on the ground. Of course, the big difference being he lands on the streets of Gotham, not in a Welsh graveyard. But I hope that helps you visualise the scene. And moving on, and that is the end of the first half of this tale from one particular source, but there's an other writer who picks up this thread in 1859, so slightly later than the last account, but only, only a few years later in the decade, and they claim that the devil's purpose in troubling Llanarth Church was not to just create a tremendous shindy in the belfry and annoy the heck out of the locals, although I'm sure he achieved that, but rather he was there to rob it of one of its bells. He he was actually there to steal a bell, not just ring it. 
And as we've just heard, he failed to do it quietly, quite quite spectacularly. He didn't just make a little bit of noise. He made one heck of a noise. But nevertheless, he was there to steal a bell. And rather than take this bell back to hell, which, which is a nice accidental rhyme there that I wasn't planning for, Bell Back to Hell, and it's nearly the title of a meatloaf song. I promise that's the last song title reference that'll crop up in this episode. But he wanted to carry that bell not to hell, but to Flan Badan Church near Aberystwyth, some 20 miles distant, because the latter, we are told, though once a cathedral, had only two bells, while the former, only a parish church, had four. So the devil appears to have some kind of problem with the unfair distribution of bells in churches, with the balance of bells in these two places. The fact that a former cathedral, a big fancy temple of Christian worship, has only got half the bells of this this, this pokey little church down the road. Now, I don't know how big these bells were, or bells are even. Maybe they were two gigantic bells in one and four little bells in the other. Although saying that, they were loud enough, they were big enough to create quite a shindy. But an old story that still lingers in the neighbourhood of Llanarth is that the devil, whilst thus engaged in carrying that bell, put it down and rested and rearranged his heavy load at the very commencement of his journey. So as tough as the devil might be, as strong as the devil might be, he still needed to take a quick breather, a quick break from carrying that bell. And he put it down in a particular spot, a particular spot between the church and the river on a road known as Hrew Kirf. And that is spelt Hrew, R-H-I-W and Kirf, C-Y-R-F-F or F. And if we were to give these words a literal translation, the first word, you could say the nicer word of the two in the name, relates to a a specific area, specific place, and translates as something like hill or maybe slope, or, you know, call it hollow if you want. Well, you, you can't call it hollow because it doesn't mean hollow, but it means hill or it means slope and it doesn't mean hollow. That's the first word. The second word, though, is a bit more specific because kerf is Welsh for bodies. Yes, bodies, as in dead bodies. And surely it's no coincidence that a bell-carrying devil who decided to put down the bell to catch a breather on his way stopped in a place called the Hill of Bodies, or even the Slope of Bodies, although that sounds quite horrific, so let's stick with Hill. Hill of Bodies. But if you do decide to fly to Wales just to try and track down this stone, Please don't put Hill of Bodies into your sat-nav because, because I just made it up. But the good news is you can still find it the old-fashioned way. You don't need a sat-nav because this place from that day forth, we are told, was cursed. And in that place, the sound of Flanarth bells cannot be heard, though it is only a few yards from the church tower. So... If you can find the spot that isn't far from the church tower, just a few yards from the church tower, and you can't hear a peep out of those bells, even though there's a great big shindy ringing around the land, if you can't hear anything, congratulations, Llongavarchiadau, because you have found the Hill of 
bodies. This cursed place that will not allow the ringing of holy bells to offend your ears because it is associated with his majesty. All of which brings us to the end of this tale of the devil, the Llanarth legend as it is known. But before I wrap things up, right at the start of this episode, I said this would be a unique tale about the devil. And what makes this story unique? To quote the eminent folklorist from days gone by, who tells us that the Llanarth legend is the only story in Wales that I know of in which the spirit of darkness carries a church bell. And it was believed in old times that the evil one was afraid of bells and fled away from the sound of them. So, if this story is to be believed, maybe the devil and his demons could defy those pesky church bells if they so desired, and anyone who uses them as a form of defence might one day be in for quite a diabolical surprise. And on that ominous note, so ends another episode of the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. As usual, if you've enjoyed this episode and you haven't already, please consider pressing the subscribe button. And if you really enjoyed it, tell all your friends about it. And you can support the podcast by treating me to a coffee via my website or just leaving a nice review or rating. If you'd like more ghosts and folklore, you can follow me on social media. And as well as this podcast, I've written a number of books about similar weird and wonderful subjects which are available from all good bookshops offline and on and there's a full list with links on my website if you can't find them all of which just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening dioch and varian amrando i've been mark Reese. this has been my ghosts and folklore podcast beaming to you from wales to the world and remember if you do hear someone raising a terrible shindy in the middle of the night it's probably just his majesty redistributing the bells. Until next time, no star. Mm-hmm.